Welcome to Stories from the Midland, a collection of historic tales from Teller County and the surrounding areas. In this episode, we're exploring the dangers of working in the mines through the accidents that happened in them. This episode was written and is being presented for you by Tommy Allen. This episode is going to be unlike any of our others here on Stories from the Midland. While we've dealt with untimely and violent death before in the podcast, we haven't done so to this extreme. But what I hope you'll take with you, dear listener, is that the people in the following vignettes are hardworking men who went to their shift every day knowing the risks they faced. They understood that they were challenging nature and that significant risks come with doing so to this degree. But they did so to chase a dream. They did so to provide for the future of themselves and their families. They did so because they were stalwart men who knew they had to choose the hardest and most dangerous path to reach their goals. As the 19th century became the 20th, underground mining held a great many risks, many times deadly. This was just as true in the Cripple Creek Gold District as anywhere else. Hoist accidents, cave-ins, explosions, and more could take the limbs or lives of those tough men extracting the ore from those dark and claustrophobic caverns hundreds or over a thousand feet underground. So in this episode, we're looking at accidents in the mines of the Cripple Creek Gold District. Louis Tachet Leaves His Widowed Mother Louis Duchesne's last day on this earth was November 26, 1894. Three days before, he'd been working in the Northern Tunnel, or Drift, at the 150-foot level and had lit the fuses of his explosives. He moved 250 feet away and was standing with 15 other miners when the explosives detonated. The explosion sent a single, small fragment of rock speeding down the drift, and it struck Duchesne's skull just behind the right ear, fracturing it. It took three days, but Duchesne finally died from that injury. He was apparently a frugal man and left $10,000, a little over $357,000 in 2023, to his mother, who had also previously lost her husband. Two mines, the Portland and the Independence, claimed to be the only mines in the district that provided free insurance to their miners, and Duchesne's mother also received a full year of his pay, about $1,200 or $43,000 in 2023 money. A cave-in at the Annalee in Victor entombs eight men. By January of 1896, the timbering around the upper portion of the Annalise shaft was regarded as a cave-in hazard, and a team was sent down to repair it. In the late morning of January 4th, four men were working at the second level, and two more were working between the third and the fourth. Thomas Sheldon, assistant superintendent of the Portland Mine, and W.E. Lone, superintendent of the Annalee, were also on the cage in the shaft. With potential danger imminent, Lone had warned the engineer at the hoist to be on watch for an emergency signal at which he was to raise the cage as fast as possible. Timberman James Hancock had ascended to the surface to select some timbers and was headed back down when the emergency signal was received at the surface, followed by the sounds of rumbling and the snapping of timbers. The engineer immediately tried to raise the cage, but it was stuck nearly in place. 
Then the weight on the cage overcame the power of the hoist, and the cage began to descend. The cable rolled off the drum about 75 feet before stopping. A brave miner on a rope was lowered by windlass into the collapsed shaft and was only able to descend a hundred feet before his way was completely blocked. The miner yelled and tapped on the water and steam pipe that went further down past the blockage, but he received no response. Portland President Jimmy Burns and Portland Superintendent, a man named Harnan, descended a neighboring shaft that connected with the Annalee at the 300-foot level with a group of men and found that the cave-in didn't extend below the fifth level at 250 feet. Burns and Harnan gathered a large group of their best miners and began clearing the obstruction from below and to begin retimbering the shaft from above. A week later, the rescue effort continued, and no bodies had yet been found. Joseph James Killed by Drills Joseph James was 20 years old the day he died. He was ascending the burn shaft in the Portland mine in a cage at about 10 o'clock p.m. on February 16, 1897, accompanying a car loaded with drills. As the cage continued up, some of the drills caught a passing shaft timber and overturned the car. James was jammed up against the side of the cage as drills were driven into his abdomen. His head was also badly wounded. He was dead by the time he reached the surface. Anton Kolnig is half on and half off. Anton G. Kolnig and a Mr. Lewis were working on the pipes some way down the shaft of the Teresa mine as 2.30 in the afternoon approached on October 18, 1898. Kolnig was 24 years old and had lived in the Cripple Creek Mining District for the last three years, engaged in mining nearly the entire time. He was single and the only of his family known in the state were parents living over in Radcliffe. Down in the Teresa, Kolnig was stepping off the cage and into the tunnel off the shaft when he rang the bell which indicated to the engineer on the hoist that he was clear of the cage and the engineer should raise it. Kolnig had one foot on and one foot off the cage when it quickly started to rise. He lost his balance and fell so his head became stuck between the cage and the shaft's timbers, crushing his skull. Lewis signaled to stop the cage as fast as he could, and he freed Kolnig's skull, but he was too late. Kolnig was conscious through the ordeal and remained so until he died at about 4 o'clock. All right, we're going to stop here. What we've talked about in this episode only represents a very small percentage of the accidents that were happening throughout the gold camp. My intent isn't to overwhelm you with violence, but to demonstrate for you the dangers miners faced every time they went down that mineshaft. While it is far too easy for us to look back at their decision to do so and judge them for it, remember that we live in a more privileged time where we have no point of reference to possibly understand what they were going through in their day. Thank you for joining me for this episode. This is Tommy Allen, and on behalf of Trevor Phipps, have a great day. We look forward to having you join us next time for more Stories from the Midland. References used in this episode can be found on its webpage. Visit storiesfromthemidland.com slash podcast.